He always seems to get involved, doesn't he? I'm telling you, too many coconuts have hit him right on top of the skull. Well, I think uh, Anthony will be a great acquisition. He can do it all. Avery, whose show is this? Welcome, everybody, to the Anthony Irwin Show. I am Anthony Irwin. Today, joined by a good buddy of mine. One of, like, I was thinking about this as I was waiting for you to, to hop on here, Jacob. We might actually have worked together longer than just about everybody except for maybe, maybe even including Harrison, actually. Yeah, now that Harrison's abandoned us, like, literally during the busiest <laughs> time of... Uh, <laughs> Yeah. season yeah yeah i guess so yeah it's been um god this is back almost, in, almost back a decade yeah Remember? almost a decade yeah it's been a long time making me feel old right to kick this one off <laughs> this is just how i wake up dude i'm <laughs> <laughs> thinking about just non-stop mortality um today's show so today the lakers officially introduced darvin ham and they uh Gave him the opportunity to sit up in front of, of reporters, answer questions. Rob Polinka was up there with him. Um, and and I kind of want to bounce some of my takeaways from it off of you, Jacob, and, and get uh, kind of a feel for how you felt about him and how he handled that situation. I was pretty impressed. I mean, it's kind of hard to screw up an intro presser. Like I, I think the only time I've ever walked away from an introductory presser saying – this might not go very well was Mike D'Antoni's when he, when he said that the Lakers were still going to try to run the seven seconds or less offense. And you look around, it's like Kobe's over there. Ron Artest is not exactly feet of foot over there. Steve Nash is limping off in the, dis, off in the distance. There might've been like five and white. There might have been like five Lakers on that team that could have sprinted the length of the court in seven seconds. I like, think that, yeah. that was like a year or so removed or maybe before, but like it was still the same personnel that eventually got frustrated and leaked to the uh, leaked to reporters that Ramon Sessions was playing too fast. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. So, but yeah, like generally speaking, if you're, if you're giving an intro presser, um, you're not normally going to get tough questions. I thought... Uh, the closest thing to like tough questions that we've ever seen in a presser was Frank Vogel's actually when, but those weren't even tough questions for Frank. Frank was just kind yeah. of sitting there and everybody was having their turn, uh, having a go at, at Rob Palenka. This time was very different though. This time was, um, you know, very, very, the, the, the vibe of it was a lot more positive, uh, which is kind of weird because the season that they're coming off of was a lot more negative than the year before Frank Vogel. But yeah, like, what did you think of of Darvin Ham and how he handled uh, this situation, and and what your takeaways might be for his leadership styles? Well, big shout out to Magic Johnson for not going on ESPN this morning and just going scorched earth <laughs> on the Lakers front office to uh, <laughs> allow us to get a lot of information about Darvin Ham. Um, yeah, yeah, I it was. I very much see why he's kind of this favorite among players among really anybody he interacts with it seems mm -hmm. like uh i mean he just comes across as a very 
like genuine person, a very, um, I guess like thoughtful person and someone that, um, I mean, he mentioned this uh, a couple different times. I think the one, the phrase he used was facts over feelings. Like he's open to having those types of, um, honest conversations to get this team back to where everybody wants them to be. So I came away really impressed, uh, excited about the future because, um, he seems like, he seems like the guy that, I mean, all the reports we heard about and everybody talking about him, this was kind of the fans and the media's, uh, first chance to see that. And yeah, I mean, it, it, it all makes sense because he's exactly the type of guy that everybody described him as being. Yeah, my I just recorded the lowdown before we before we recorded here, and that was honestly my first takeaway. I'm not saying this to to criticize Frank um, in any way. They just seem like polar opposites in terms of people. You know, Frank is this kind of happy-go-lucky. I'll deal with bullshit if I have to deal with bullshit, and I'll just kind of grin and bear it. And, and I'll try to make the best out of that situation. Whereas Darwin seems a lot more, nope, I'm going to deal. I'm going to, I'm going to deal with this bullshit and, and I'm going to end it. And, yeah. and I'm going to be very direct about the way that I'm going to end it. And, you know, Frank, e- even down to like their speaking styles where Frank is kind of bouncy. He has a lighter, you know, kind of a lighter voice and, and, uh, Darwin is much more baritone, much more succinct with his answers. Um, and, and look, being succinct in any way at your first intro presser is really difficult. I remember I was a, I was a, 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 a coach back by when I, after I graduated high school and, um, I, some moron thought it was a good idea to give me my own program. So I had to like sit up in front of <laughs> like a bunch of parents, you know, frosh off parents, JV parents, varsity parents. And I, and I just rambled forever, you know, mm-hmm. and it was just, it was just this, this super easy thing to do to just kind of get lost and enjoy the sound of your own voice and, and say, try to say all of the right things and forget somewhere along the line, like the questions that you're being answered. <laughs> and I, I just thought like watching this from Darwin, um, I thought he was very, uh, you know, as, as honest as he could be, I, obviously, like one of the things that we're going to talk about is the Russell Westbrook aspect of all of this. But I thought he, w- he was very good at, you know, saying what he needed to say and not a word more. The kind of comparing him to Frank, Frank very much uh, um, was good at saying a lot of things and none of it really meaning anything. Um, yeah, he, he very much did kind of the coach speak where he would, uh, talk around points and say lots of stuff. And ultimately he never, he didn't really say anything at all. Like you go back and transcribe it and look and you're like, he didn't even like answer the question. Um, so <laughs> yeah. like you, I went, I listened back to the audio of the press conference again to transcribe stuff. And very much like he addresses the questions head on. Um, like you said, there weren't too many or really any tough questions. Maybe the the stuff on Russ might have been the toughest, but um, he even that like directly head on, he answered the question and uh, for better or for worse, what it means for the Lakers in the future, I don't know, but uh, he's very much someone that you you can understand why his kind of philosophy is 
facts over feelings because even in a, a press conference, he is. Um, I mean, that he's, Russ was standing at. Like yeah. Russ was standing off in the on the distance, and Darvin basically said he played shit defense last year. I don't know if you yeah. guys saw it. I don't know if you guys watched, but that guy was terrible on defense, and we got to get him back to defending with Russ standing right there. Yeah, and if he's willing to do that with people in the room, imagine the conversations <laughs> he's willing to have when nobody's in the room. Yeah, yeah it, it was. I, 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 let's talk about Russ because. Uh, I, you know, obviously every time you tweet out anything having to do with Russell Westbrook, the first thing that the, the first responses are always going to be, you know, best of luck in Indiana or best of luck in Charlotte or New York or wherever, um, China, depending on where, uh, <laughs> depending on, on the, where the mentions are coming from. But, uh, you know, t today was, it was funny to see in my mentions, and I'm sure you saw this too, you know, what Russ is there, therefore he's sticking around. Or yeah. Darvin Ham spoke about the ways that he can try to utilize Russ and try to get buy-in again from Russ. Therefore, the Lakers are keeping Russ. But like again, to go back to he said what he needed to say and nothing more. And in some situations, like it does, this idea that the Lakers would in any way trash some their highest paid player currently um as they are trying to gain leverage in any kind of trade talks is it's just kind of asinine i i understand where i understood where it's coming from given how frustrating frustrated fans are um but i, I you know you still have to be a re realist realistic about the situation uh <laughs> i when you say he's a highest paid player i keep thinking back uh harrison sent me an article um to do a story on Russ is the 11th pay, highest paid athlete in the world. Um, and <laughs> it is, it boggles my mind reading that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you could have spun it basically whatever way you wanted your narrative to be. I, I certainly saw people saying, Oh, he's there. Like he's not going to show up to support a franchise. that's openly shopping him. Like, well, I mean, you're crazy if you think he hasn't, they haven't been openly shopping him. But, um, yeah, I mean, I didn't expect Ham to say anything different than what he did. Like, the Lakers have been building up or trying to build up this leverage that they're really seriously considering bringing him back next season. And it would have been, it would have been a hilariously maybe too on brand for this franchise for, Darvin Ham to then come out and say, yeah, I, there's no shot. He's playing it for the Lakers <laughs> next season. Yeah, uh, right. Again, with Russ in the gym, it would have been absolutely hilarious, but he was never going to do that. He, no. he, he has to come into this situation planning for having Russ on the team. And then you adjust accordingly if he's not. So I wasn't surprised the angle he took when it came to discussing Russ, he said he would, he absolutely sees him on the team next season. He was talking about, I mean, the part that worried me is he was talking about a co the conversations he's had and the word sacrifice came up because I mean, I wrote the article last preseason <laughs> where Russ talked about sacrificing I've seen this episode before. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I really hope we're not doing this again. And that uh, was some cause for concern. But right now I just imagine this is all kind of, leverage building and whatnot because um what else would they do like obviously they were going to come out this is the first time 
they've talked publicly since Russ went scorched earth on everyone in the his exit interview. This is the first time that they've talked since then. Obviously, they were going to continue to try to to build leverage. So I wasn't surprised by any of his comments necessarily. You mean either? I I honestly the the stuff that kind of surprised me in a good way was uh, in in regards to LeBron and how similar it might be to coach LeBron and optimize LeBron um, compared to optimizing and coaching Giannis. And, you know, I, I, one of the things that I've been kind of frustrated about over the last couple of years is the Lakers have far too often in their effort to alleviate some pressure on LeBron, especially creatively, they've looked at that as a personnel problem. It, they've looked at it like the solution is we need a better point guard. We need a point guard who is more creative. Um, not understanding that that point guard is also going to have to fit with LeBron on the court um, so that when you have your best lineups out there, when it's actually winning time, it, it you, you have combinations out there you can go to and, and these players that you're kind of funneling resources into improving um, that it, it can actually work. And instead today, Darwin, when he was asked about the comparison of Giannis and, and LeBron, he compared it or he, he, he described it as more of a systemic thing that, that in order to maximize what Giannis is capable of doing on the court, it has a lot more to do with, with the system and the machine and yes, personnel matters, but more of a fit in, in, in regards to fit than in literally alleviating the pressure off of Giannis. That that blew me away. That's all I've been begging for. <laughs> it, it was also interesting when he did mention sacrifice for Russ, he also mentioned that everybody is going to have to sacrifice. And yeah. when he mentioned that and you already heard and know kind of his approach to facts over feelings, that kind of raised raised an eyebrow and got me interested because he specifically said like LeBron's going to have to sacrifice. AD's going to have to sacrifice. I'm interested to see what those sacrifices are going to be. Is that a hint that AD is just going to have to play center and that's his sacrifice now? Is that a hint to him giving up those long twos and then turning them into threes or something like that? And with LeBron, I mean, when the Lakers won the title, he played point guard and I know how much he, Seems to not want to do that, but that was when they were at their best. So is a sacrifice for LeBron being more of an on-ball guy. So we don't have this point guard issue that you're talking about. Is it potentially, I mean, he, uh, Ham also mentioned that his number one priority was to lessen the wear and tear on LeBron. Is a sacrifice LeBron going to have to make that he's going to have to sit out some games to protect himself mm-hmm. and, and avoid that wear and tear? So that definitely caught my eye too. When he said LeBron AD, they're going to have to make sacrifices too, because I mean, again, Darvin Ham seems like a guy that he's going to tell it to you, whether you want to hear it or not. So what those sacrifices they're going to want to make or have to make, is going to be interesting to see. We are literally 15 minutes into your and my conversation right now. And I have to apologize to the audience because I cannot believe we haven't mentioned it yet. The dude said he got shot in the face. He knew the, <laughs> he knew the exact date. He, he's like April 5th, 1988 or something like that, that he was shot in the face accidentally. Thank you, uh, Ham, for, for making sure to specify it was an accident. Um, but yeah, I, he, 
when asked about pressure and how he's going to handle coaching the Lakers, coaching LeBron, coaching a team with championship aspirations that probably isn't capable of winning a championship, how do you handle that pressure? His response was, yeah, I got shot in the face. This is nothing. <laughs> like, I, I, I put me in the room with you when you heard that. Cause for me, I, I, my soul left my body. I was not prepared for that this fine Monday afternoon. So I, I had known the story, but only within the last couple of weeks because um, Brian Windhorse like mentioned it in passing on one of his podcasts. And Why are we mentioning this in passing? <laughs> well, see, that was the problem. Like Windhorse kind of mentioned it and the way he kind of goes about things you don't really know like what's fact and what like yeah and don't and aggregate harrison, the fact that this yeah. guy got shot in the face <laughs> so harrison and i spent part of a day trying to find like did darvin ham really get shot in the face and it wasn't like written anywhere so we're like i guess not and then when he was hired mike trudell shared a story he wrote back when ham was an assistant and which it said in there that he was shot in the face and it was like Oh, damn. Okay. Yeah, that was true. He, he got shot in the face. So like, yeah, like good luck ever like scaring or like putting pressure on Darvin Ham when he literally was shot in the face. And like, he was like, I could be either fearful or fearless. And I chose fearless. I'm like, I, I don't know that I would have made that decision. Like I probably would have went the other way on that one. So uh, Darvin Ham was born July 23rd, 1973. He says, that he was shot April 5th, 1988, which makes him 14 years old at the time of getting shot. And, um, and, and a 14 year old basically made the decision after getting shot, this is going to take fear out of my life. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, we, we joke about like LeBron and, and people saying like built different. I think we actually have to say this about Darvin Ham that he is actually literally built different than you and I. Yeah. Again, if I'm shot in the face at any point in my life, I'm fearful at 14. Like I cannot imagine what my response would have been. So like kudos to him for choosing that path, because I guess that's probably why he would be in the NBA and I'm not. So like I, I've I've never uh, the only scrums that I have done or pressers that I have done um, was back when I was covering the Dodgers and and even there like I the the people around me were kind of laughing because I don't have the best poker face I was pretty good at poker <laughs> um, with math and stuff and as you guys can imagine like I'm a fairly excitable guy but I'm telling you guys right now if this guy if I would have been in the room for Darvin Ham explaining that that him getting shot is why he's not nervous about pressure with basketball. I'm telling you guys right now, I would not have handled that very well. in public. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you guys right now that I'd be sitting there in the, in the back, like my hand just goes, shoots up, excuse me, follow up. <laughs> Need a lot more details on what just happened there. Hold on, that, rewind that please. <laughs> that is the benefit of the zoom era of media press conferences is that when uh, people say stuff like that and I don't have a great poker face either. So when I do kind of the double take the, the white guy <laughs> blinking gif, my, my camera is off fortunately and nobody yeah. can see me going, wait, what'd he just say? He got shot Excuse in the me? face. Yeah. Like, uh, I I'm, I'm glad I wasn't in the room and that was like the first time I heard it either because I would have had 
I would have missed like the next three questions over like, wait, he said he got shot in the face, right? Like that's a thing he actually just said. (laughs) Um, Was there anything else that stuck out to you? We've talked about, we've talked about his answers with Russ. We've talked about, um, we haven't hit quite yet uh, the way that he's hoping to optimize or what he, what he's expecting from AD. Was there anything else that before we get to the Anthony Davis, because that's going to take a little bit longer. Was there anything else that you wanted to hit on there? Yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see how he builds um, builds kind of the the coaching staff out and whatnot because he mentioned he doesn't want coordinators and he wants guys who everybody's going to roll up their sleeves and get out there and that mm-hmm. uh, this isn't he isn't like an offensive or defensive minded coach or anything like that. So, um, I, I Rashid Wallace may or may not be a part of the staff. I Maybe. don't really know, but yeah. uh, it's going to be interesting to see what types of guys he's going to build the staff out with, because I, I thought that was interesting that he is very anti uh, like offensive coordinator, or defensive coordinator, or anything like that. Like it's going to be a lot of guys doing everything on this staff. Yeah. he And the reason he said that apparently has to do with how things were run in Milwaukee, right? Where, there were some times he was asked to be head scout for a team, right? He said that the Lakers were a team he had to, oh man, that's another situation where uh, my follow-ups would, would indicate that I'm not, I don't have the best poker face. Cause as soon as he said that the Lakers were his scouting team, <laughs> like the podcaster of me was like, oh my God, this requires 37 follow-up questions. <laughs> um, and, but like when he said that, yeah, that, in working with Bud, there are some times where your focus is is here. Sometimes it's player development. Sometimes it's it's defense. Sometimes it's hands on. He is a big dude. He keeps himself in very good shape. Um, so there, you know, I I remember back when he was coaching a, a, as an assistant with the Lakers. I remember watching him um, assistant coach, much like I watch Phil Handy now, and I'm like, that looks exhausting. Like coaching is supposed to be like usually the the, the cliche is those who cannot do coach he was doing a lot of doing when he was coaching <laughs> and Phil Handy does a lot of, but, but like that's that I think again, lends itself to the amount of respect that players have for him that they see. All right. If, if he is, if he has a concept that he's trying to, to get across to you, he is capable of stepping out onto the court and kind of backing it up a little bit in the, in the best ways that a coach might be able to. Um, so I, I really enjoyed that, that general approach, even though, I kind of disagree with it. Like I, I understand the notion behind it, um, but it was clear to me watching the and, and we'll see. I maybe Ham is just a better offensive tactician than than Vogel was, and he doesn't need an offensive strategist in the way that Vogel clearly did. Um, but like having watched the Lakers the last few years and how they didn't rely on somebody in that kind of a role. Hearing that, I was like, okay, but (laughs) how strict are we on this? (laughs) There's a, there's just a a greater ability, at least with Ham, for him to just connect with the guys on the court. I mean, he played against LeBron. Like, I know LeBron is like, yeah, but uh, when it comes to like, LeBron's still in the league and he played with him. So like yeah. he can relate to those guys in a way that not that it's better or worse, but like Frank Vogel couldn't relate to the guys like that. And mm-hmm. I think that carries a lot of weight. Um, just being 
if you want to call it a player coach, whatever kind of phrase you want to give to it, there there's a an ability to relate to the guys that not every coach has. And um, so it, it's going to be interesting to see how that translates to any kind of success this team may have. And um, because if you can relate to the guys and are willing to have those tough conversations with them, like seemingly that's a good combination, but uh, you, you still have to kind of play it out on the court still. Yeah. Um, All right. Let's, let's wrap up on the Anthony Davis aspect of, of all of this. And, you know, he went so far as to say that Anthony Davis is the key to the Lakers season. And, and, you know, it's a LeBron James team, but you kind of understand what you're going to get from LeBron when he's healthy. Um, I think some doubt has started to creep in as that pertains to Anthony Davis, that when he's healthy, last year we saw two Anthony Davises, right? We saw the Anthony Davis at the beginning of the season who wasn't finishing over the rim. Then he gets hurt and he, he lightens up a little bit. And, and before his second injury, we saw like, a thinner, more explosive Anthony Davis. And the Lakers looked, I thought, at their best when Anthony Davis looked like the more explosive, um, finishing over the top type of Anthony Davis that we saw for that stretch. And, you know, I, I, I thought two things were interesting. One, again, that he called Anthony Davis the key. And then two, that he didn't go into specifics. Like, he didn't say Anthony needs to be the center. He didn't, he, he said something along the lines of they're going to play, you know, one, four out where, where they're going to have somebody on the interior and everybody else is going to be kind of more perimeter based, um, which makes it difficult to play a second center next to AD, by the way. Um, but, but I thought generally speaking him again, understanding what he needed to say and not, not going any further than that, uh, before he sees what kind of roster the Lakers are able to put around AD was, was super interesting to me. What, what, what did you take away from his responses as it pertained to and Anthony Davis, who like, this is about as low as his value, his stock has been since he showed up to the Lakers. The, <clears throat> there were a couple of different things that were interesting. The four out one in is certainly interesting um, because it, it's hard to see that and not immediately wonder like, where's Anthony Davis going to play? Is this mean he he's going to be the center? You would think so, because as you said, um, it's hard to play four out one in with a center alongside AD unless AD is one of the four out, I guess, but, but it's hard to do that when he's shooting 18% from three <laughs> or if, if Russ is on the team, unless he's the one in, I guess um, <laughs> yeah. the, so the four out one in stuff was really interesting uh, because I mean, that would certainly indicate early on that AD might be the center. Um, but yeah, the, the talk about him being the centerpiece or, or the key uh, for this team, especially defensively Um he said like, that's the type of standard we want in the, I think he literally said the quote Darvin ham era. Uh, it's going to be built on kind of defense and 80 is going to be the main piece. It was interesting. A couple times he referenced the bubble and how well 80 played in the bubble mm. and trying to get back to that level, um, which is what every, all Lakers fans have wanted for the last two seasons is to get 80 back to that level. So Darvin ham is a part of a Disney, a Disney Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> he uh, certainly 
the fact he mentioned the bubble a couple times was interesting. Um, it was also interesting. This is kind of tangentially related to AD, but his talk about being uh, really, really player health, like progressive. I can't remember the exact words he used, but that he wanted to get with the performance like department of the the training staff and and figure out what the best way to keep these guys healthy because he wants to be stronger longer into the season and that's been a, a bugaboo for ad is being healthy being on the floor getting stronger as the season goes along so it's certainly uh interesting encouraging that he sees ad is such a big part of this team because again and he said it like lebron's always going to be lebron but like you need ad to be the ad that he was in the bubble if you want to really be a title contender yeah, I I think for me, uh, another thing that as you were talking about that came to mind was he was it was a throwaway line, but it's the exact thing that I think a lot of people like myself are very interested in roster construction. Like that's kind of my focus when it comes to analysis here because I think that's the starting point and a lot of last season the ending point. Um, but so I I thought when he was asked about you know kind of his general philosophy, one of the things that he said was, we need a lot of guys who can do a lot of things. And, and I think that was something that you couldn't say about a good portion of the roster that, you know, that the Lakers had a lot of specialists. They had Wayne Ellington out there who was just a shooter. They had, um, they had DJ Augustine who was just an, an offensive minded point guard. They had Stanley Johnson who was, certainly more of a defensive minded wing and, and so on and so forth. You can go on it. Malik Monk is, is an offense first combo guard. Um, Kendrick Nunn is, is a rehab first uh, combo guard. <laughs> and so like, I, I think when you, when you're looking at w the way that Milwaukee succeeded when they were healthy, it's so many wings. It's just an endless supply of wings that are just getting thrown at you when they're healthy. And I think, well, if if we if the Lakers are going to do this one four high uh, approach, one in four out approach, then it requires a lot of versatile defenders. It requires a lot of guys who can do a lot of things. And you know, we didn't hear much from Rob. I thought one of the quotes that he gave, like, I I'm at that point with Rob where I just I'm cool not hearing him talk. Like I, I thought for, <laughs> I thought for a second, like, yeah, it'd be nice to hear from Rob and get a little bit more clarity. And then he spoke, I was like, you know what? Let's go back to Darwin. <laughs> Cause he was like, yeah, the one thing that we were missing last year was toughness. And I was like, yes, Rob, you signed Wayne Ellington. You signed Malik Monk. You signed Kendrick Nunn. How did you think that was going to go? 37 um, year I, old Trevor Ariza. <laughs> yeah. And, and I thought Darvin speaking specifically about, or well, I guess more generally about, hey, we need a lot of guys who can do a lot of things, kind of sets the tone for the type of offseason that it certainly sounds like he's hoping to have. I'm very much in the same boat with Rob Polinka because uh, he wants to blame a lot of things on 
Seemingly Frank Vogel. Oh, you mean season. you mean with me on Rob Link? Okay, okay. Yeah, 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 <laughs> I thought, yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. I I am out on listening to Rob Polinka talk for a little yeah. while. Like, I'm, I'm let, cool. let 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 that man go. Do whatever he does in the front office. Like, <laughs> read The Alchemist a few more times. Like, just, yes, absolutely. We don't we don't even need introductory <laughs> press conferences for any of these free agents because like. He, he keeps mentioning things as if like he wasn't the primary decision maker last season on like everything. And it's like, you can't blame other people repeatedly when these were your mistakes. So yeah, yeah I, I'm very out on that. The problem with um, kind of Darvin Ham's approach or the problem that's going to come up is it's going to be really hard to find guys who can do everything yep. that the Lakers can afford right now. Uh, perhaps that lends more credence to the team trading Russ and creating cap space or, or bringing in guys that can be those types of players or, or something along or like those lines. Like a few lines. different contracts who, you know, give mm-hmm. you more flexibility. Yeah. And so maybe that lends more credence to that. But like right now, it's going to be pretty hard to find guys that you can uh, afford or bring into the team that can do it uh, multiple things. So uh i don't it, it's going to be an interesting balance because this is this was kind of part one of the off season or like the first little checklist and i think the lakers nailed it like i i'm i was very pro darvin ham before today and after today even more so i think they nailed this but it's only going to get tougher from here and like ideally yeah i love what darvin ham said i would love guys who can do a bit of everything and um that is great team building but it's going to be a really challenging thing to do with the restrictions the the Lakers have put on themselves. So it's going to be interesting to see kind of where they go from here now. But um, it, he said all the right things today. Yeah, yeah, I that is an important distinction that it might be what Ham wants, but are the Lakers literally capable of putting that type of a roster around him? Certainly not with Russ on it. I don't think. Um, and then it gets to how willing are you to bite the bullet and accept, say, like the Knicks offer, which is pretty ugly, right? It's 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 Fournier, it's Burks, it's Kemba for for Russ. Like you're not happy, you're not thrilled with any of those players. Um, but do they allow you to go out and you know Kemba's an expiring contract, so does he allow you to maybe combine him with either a first or THT and go out and get more of a versatile wing? Um, I, 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 I thought that was a really interesting moment, even though it was a throwaway line and it's probably one that he didn't even, he wouldn't even remember now if we were to ask him about it, but, uh, it is, you know, those throwaway lines because they come natural that I, I always kind of zone in on. It is his philosophy. It's what he looks for in role players on his rosters. And, and it's something that the Milwaukee Bucks won a championship with. Uh, so, so it, it, you know, if, you know, one, one frustration, one point of frustration that I had with last off season was you have this coach who clearly prefers a certain type of roster and you basically built the opposite of that in yep. last summer. And I think here, if this is something that ham is capable of just kind of alluding to, because this is what he kind of takes for granted on, on how he thinks a roster should be put together. Now the onus falls on 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 Rob uh, to put a roster together that Ham can succeed with, and 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 it's going to be fascinating to watch um, how that all comes together. Um, that was just one more thing yeah, on go that. For it. That was one of the 
the biggest things, even before they landed on um, Darvin Ham or, or even before the co coaching search even started, it's something I've mentioned multiple times. There has to be more synergy yeah. between the front office and the coaching staff and the head coach, because as you said, the Lakers seem to be at odds with the team they were building versus the coach they had last season. And I, it, it will never make sense why they did that unless it was just strictly to sabotage Frank Vogel, which is possible considering how much that they did not like him, but um, it, it, it didn't make any sense. So now um, kind of moving forward, it's going to be interesting to see how much those two parties work hand in hand. Like this is their guy. Now this was their number one choice. This was, they said he was unanimous. Like everybody wanted him. Mm -hmm. Now you need to build a team around him that, that makes it work. So it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, they're, they've had guys in the building that was that type, like Wes Matthews was still a mm -hmm. contributor in Milwaukee. And he'll be available. Yeah. And like Brooke Lopez was on that team and he could have stayed in, in uh, LA. Like they've had guys on the roster that could be those guys. It's just going to be a matter of does the front office and the, coaching staff now do they kind of work hand in hand and are they trying to build the same type of roster now because that hasn't really always been the case uh maybe at all during frank vogel's tenure that those two sides were working hand in hand and that that just has the only to time be they there. did the only time they did was when they had a bunch of the leftovers carryovers yeah. from the previous roster and and then they won a championship and ran in the opposite direction of of what won it for them so, so it yeah, almost seems completely. like by accident they built that title team because it was it was very defensive like heavy and and focused on the defense but it also came from them signing guys like well after free agency was done so it's yeah. hard to hard to know how much of that was even really planned but yeah that's what i mean i'm not even sure at any point that they had a clear plan for what the head coach wanted and what the front office wanted together i really hope that's the case moving forward with um with the front office and Darvin Ham now, because I, for whatever reason, they seem to want to set, set Frank Vogel up for failure. And now they need to set Darvin Ham up for success because again, this was their guy and it's going to be them on the chopping block. If this doesn't work now. Yep. All right. That's going to do it here for this episode of the Anthony Irwin show a little shorter today. Um, <clears throat> I'm recording this on my anniversary. Sorry, Jen. We'll get going for dinner here in a second. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Jacob, for hopping on on short notice um, and breaking down what was a really interesting and I thought telling uh, introductory presser. It's going to be interesting to see now where the Lakers go to follow up on some of these things as as that now, you know, it's easy to say all this shit. But as we just talked about, as it pertains, especially to the wings, it's a lot harder to do <laughs> a lot of the things that they're talking about. So. Um, very interesting stuff. Thanks again, Jacob. Um, you can ch you can catch him on Can You Dig It on Sundays. Um, now no longer with uh, Christian Rivas. Uh, Christian, we wish you all the best. I'm gonna miss your guys. Uh, you guys as a combination. Um, and then you can catch all of his writings on SilverScreenRoll.com. So Jacob Rude, thank you very much, and we'll talk to you guys next week, I guess. <laughs>